You can have a seat this morning. Thank you so much for that. They are going to be out in the commons area uh, where you'll be able to tell them uh, goodbye. You'll be able to give them a hug. You'll be able to just connect with them. And there's just some treats out there too. So if you're going to get a treat, you got to tell them bye, okay? Don't be like just going out there grubbing on free food, right? If you're going to go out there and get uh, a little treat, you got to go at least love on them, tell them goodbye. We're just so glad that they're a part of our church family and may God send many more missionaries and raise up many more pastors and many more evangelists and people to go out of this church to continue to win souls and make disciples. Amen. Amen. Well, we're wrapping up our series this morning, going through the book of Ephesians. This is a really awesome thing because I love when we get to the end of a verse-by-verse teaching through a book of the Bible because it makes us feel a little accomplished, and I like that feeling. I like knowing that over these past six weeks, we will have gone verse-by-verse through the entire book of Ephesians, and I hope that you've learned a lot, and I hope you will continue to learn and grow as we walk through the remainder of this book. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Today we're going to talk about spiritual armor. And as we think about armor, we always think about battles. We always think about facing and fighting something. And in our world today, there are so many battles that the Christian could fight, that the Christian feels compelled to fight because of what's going wrong in the world and how we see that God has called us to live a different way. We see every time we turn on the news something that may stir anger in our hearts or something that may frustrate us that we want to see changed, and we don't always know what the best course of action to respond to that feeling is. Sometimes we get it right, and sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes we get a little ahead of ourselves, and we start typing with our thumbs things that we shouldn't type. And we get really aggressive with some of that, and we hit post on social media, and then there's this big long thread of arguments back and forth, and we don't know, are we fighting the right battles? Are we standing for the right things? Because there's so many battles that we feel compelled to fight. We feel so many causes that may stir us or grieve us or frustrate us, and we get angry with so many people. I want to make sure that we grow in understanding the real battles that we have to fight, the ones that are distracting and the ones that actually really matter so that we can stay focused on what actually matters. And I believe that this is a great section of Scripture to help us to anchor ourselves in that. So let's read these first few verses together. In Ephesians chapter 6, we left off last week at verse 9, so we'll pick it up in verse 10 today. Verse 10 of chapter 6 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places." The very first thing that Paul says as he's wrapping up and concluding this letter is be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. This means that the battles that we're going to face require that we depend on the strength of the Lord. 
We cannot depend on our own strength when it comes to fighting these types of battles. When we do, all we do is jump into this cycle and this rhythm and this pattern of frustration, this cycle and this pattern of us trying to be proven right. And it seems that in our world, whoever yells the loudest and can make the other person feel dumb wins. It seems like the person that can just be the loudest, get the most attention, make the most people go, well, I never thought about it that way before. It seems the person that can do that the best wins. And the Christian thinks that that's part of our job is to just load up our weapons and to make sure that we're proven right, to make sure that we help other people to see how right we are and how wrong that they are. And we think that our job is to just help everybody to see our point of view. We think that it's our job to make everybody see how smart we are and how right we are. And this is kind of the same idea of what was happening in the church in Ephesus that Paul's writing this letter to. He's addressing the primary false doctrine that was being perpetuated in that region called Gnosticism. Gnosticism, their primary goal was to elevate knowledge above all else. It's like the more you know, the, the closer to God you are. It doesn't matter what you do in your body. It doesn't matter what other sins you may commit. It doesn't matter what you may be drawn to or how you may want to live. As long as you just know a lot about God and you're having these experiences of elation through this knowledge, that's the goal. And you're going deeper and deeper into these mysterious things all dealing with knowledge. And so as Paul is writing this to them, he's letting them know, you got to have God. you got to be fighting the right battle and standing in the strength of the Lord. And then he says this, he says, put on the whole armor of God. That means we need every piece, every single piece is significant. So it's not like I can go into this battle half-dressed. I need to make sure that I have put on the whole armor of God that I may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Here he uses defensive language. And the reason he's using defensive language of us standing in the armor of God is because Jesus Christ has already won the victory. Jesus Christ has already fought the battle for you and for me. It's my job to stand in that victory and walk in that victory. And then he says this, we aren't fighting people. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. There are spiritual forces of evil that are influencing the hearts and minds of the people of this age. And because of that, it's a spiritual battle. It's not a battle that we attach names and faces to. So often we get distracted, though, because someone offends us, someone does us wrong, someone thinks differently than us, and we view them as our enemy, and we begin to look at the person instead of the spirit that is behind what's influencing those thoughts and those behaviors and those attitudes and those actions. And you want to know what the real problem is? It's not people. The real problem is zombies. That's the real problem that we're dealing with. The real problem is zombies. That's actually the issue. And I want you to think about this with me. All right, we're going to go deep. You ready? You got your floaties on? All right, got them on? Got them aired up? We're going deep. What is a zombie? Well, a zombie is someone who's driven by impulse, who's walking around driven by that impulse, 
But as they're moving and driven by impulse, they're dead inside. They're not really alive, but they look alive. It's the same thing that we learned when we went through our Are We There Yet series. This first stage before we encounter Christ, we all start off on this journey as spiritually dead. We're walking around, we're moving. I, I, I look alive, but yet on the inside, I'm dead. I'm spiritually dead. And we think that people are the problem and we get our eyes off of the real problem. That's why Paul says we're not wrestling, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. It's not a flesh and blood battle. This isn't what we're actually standing against. This isn't really the root issue. It's not, oh, if we could get this person out of office and this person into office. It's not, oh, if I could get rid of this person in my life and get this type of person in my life. If I think that I just have to get the chessboard perfectly set before my life can be okay and I can actually start accomplishing anything, I'm never gonna do anything. I'm just gonna live in constant frustration. And always wish that things were different and wish that people were different or wish that there was a different person in this position or that position. You see, people who are driven by impulse, they're dead inside and spiritually dead people cannot fix problems created by spiritually dead people. Oh, let me say that again. Spiritually dead people cannot fix problems created by spiritually dead people. Spiritually dead people have a way that they think they can fix the problems created by spiritually dead people because they'll go, ooh, 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 I know, I know, I know. We'll create more rules because rules work. Let's create more rules, more layers of rules, and then let's have subcommittees that create rules for the rule makers so they can create better rules. Oh, that's not, more, that's not enough layers. Let's add more layers to the rules, and then let's make a rule for this and a rule for that. And then somewhere along the line, if I don't like the rules, well, I don't want to play by these rules anymore. Let's make up new rules. And then society goes, yeah, I like those rules better. Let's go with your rules because now I think your rules are the better ones. I think your restrictions, your regulations, your ideas the way this really should be and everyone's just going with the ebb and flow of the rule makers and the rules aren't fixing anything it seems often that the rules are actually making things work worse because it's revealing something about the heart of man that we're in desperate need of a savior because our because our rules aren't fixing society are they no our rules aren't fixing. So it's not another policy that we need. It's not another politician that we need. It's not another, uh, another person in this position or that that we need. That's not where my hope should lie. But that's where spiritually dead people's hopes lie. In the rules and the rule makers. Who can make my life better. Who can make my life easier. Who can fix the problems with this world. But the real problem is that it's spiritually dead people trying to fix the problems created by spiritually dead people. It would be like taking your car that was already broken to a mechanic and they break the car further and make the problem and the noise you were hearing actually worse. Have you ever had that experience before? I'm hearing a noise and that's me. I'm not mechanically inclined. I'm like, I hear a noise. I still hear the noise. Now I hear the noise more. And it's like getting worse and you go, you know what? I'm gonna take this car back to the same person because I bet they can fix it. And then they end up just making it worse. And now I have a whole new slew of problems I didn't even have before because I'm dealing with someone who's trying to fix something, but they don't have the answers. They're just causing more 
problems or maybe they'll temporarily fix something but it just wears out and it wasn't done right and if I keep putting my faith in people if I keep looking at people as my source if I keep drawing my strength from myself I'm going to get weary and I'm going to run out of gas I'm going to run out of steam folks apart from Christ we are spiritually dead and we need to be made alive. Without Christ, we all have hearts that are hardened towards God, and by nature, we're selfish. By nature, we're opposed to God, and we have to get our eyes off of fighting people and see the real battle at hand. Paul here is specifically referring to false teachers. He's saying they're not the real enemy. He's saying those Gnostics, they're not the real enemies. He's not for what they're doing, obviously. But it's not about fighting, you know, Joe or Jim or James or any other J names. It's, it's about this spiritual battle. He's saying it's not that person who's teaching that. He said it's the spirit behind it. That's where the real battle is. He said we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. You see, folks, Jesus fixes the heart. Jesus fixes the core of what's going on. It's like if you saw a tree... And this tree was an apple tree, and all the apples were just rotten that were hanging on it. If you went to try to address this tree, we would think it foolish of the person trying to get this tree healthy again to start with the apples. Wouldn't we? We would think that's a really poor way to try to fix this unhealthy fruit. What if we saw this unhealthy fruit, and we said, you know what that needs? It needs a good coat of paint, because it just doesn't look very pretty. We'll paint them red. Oh, I'll paint them the best color red. I can paint them. Oh, now they look good. No, it, it's fake. It's not real. It's still rotten inside. But it looks like it's not. We can, doesn't smell good. It's not really that appealing once you bite into it. It's still rotten. We know we can't fix it from the outside. We're not treating it from the outside. Where do you have to go if you want healthy apples from a tree that was once producing unhealthy apples? you got to go to the root you got to deal with the core. you got to deal with the stuff you can't see that's beneath the surface. And guess what? You can't fix that on your own, but we know one who can, and his name is Jesus. You see, Jesus said that either the tree is going to be good and the fruit's going to be good, or the tree's going to be bad and the fruit's going to be bad. He said, either way, the tree is known by its fruit. And he's talking about this core issue. It's the same idea that Ezekiel prophesied when he said there's a stony heart there, and God is going to take out this stony heart. And he's going to put in this soft, pliable heart. Jesus said that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what am I speaking? What's the fruit of my life? What is coming out of me? Folks, let me tell you, if I'm trying to do this in my own strength, I'm not resting and trusting in the gospel. I'm not resting and trusting in Christ. I have to anchor myself in Christ and get my eyes off of fighting people. And I have to stop fighting people in my own strength and realize there's a spiritual battle. There's a spiritual war at hand. And we have to focus our energy and our efforts on the real thing. Jesus fixes the heart. Jesus makes us alive again. Thus, Christ alone can fix the world's problems, not politicians, Christ alone. Amen? See, Jesus fixes racism because racism is a heart issue. To hate another person based on the color of their skin, that is a heart issue. It's not something that we need more people making up more rules and wagging more fingers saying, you shouldn't think this way, you shouldn't do that. 
you, 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 should, you should do better. We don't need more people wagging more fingers. What we need is a heart transformation. Amen? The same thing with greed. Jesus fixes greed. He fixes these types of issues of selfishness because they are heart issues. We can lecture on people and wag our finger and tell them, stop being so greedy, stop making poor people's lives so miserable so you can gain and take advantage of them. That's wrong, that's bad, you should feel bad about that. That doesn't work. And if it does work, it only works for just a little while because people get right back into their rhythms of selfishness and greed and hate and all those things and division. Why? Because at the core, they need a heart transformation. They need what only Jesus can give. Not what another lecture, not what another rule, not what another rule maker can give, but only what Christ alone can bring. Jesus fixes abuse, he fixes neglect, he fixes deception, sexual sin, and all kinds of injustices in our world. That's why Jesus is the answer, because Jesus deals with the core. We've got to stop trying to just address things from the outside in. If we do, we're doing it in our own strength. We need to instead recognize that it is Christ that truly is the hope because he gives us a new heart. Now, I get it. It is true. Sometimes we need to be made more aware of certain problems in our world, and I'm for all of that. But even with that in mind, the answer is still Jesus. It's not like Jesus stopped being the answer. It's not like pause on Jesus being the answer. No, Jesus is continually the answer. Amen, church? That's why the gospel keeps my eyes fixed on eternity, and the gospel equips me to focus on what matters most. It helps me to have this laser-like focus, to know what truly matters, to know what is important, to know what the priority is. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6 and 33, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things you're worried about, those things, God will take care of that. You don't have to sit around and worry because you're not doing anything by all this worry and all this fretting when you turn on the news when you read social media, when you thumb through, when you get angry, when you get all riled up and you're looking at people, no, no, no. Instead, understand this is a spiritual battle and we have to fight this battle with spiritual weapons and we have to stand for what is right and what is true in the strength of God, not in the strength that you and I can conjure up on our own. We have to be rooted and grounded and anchored in the gospel. Let's read about this armor in Ephesians 6. Let's pick up where we left off, verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Um, Tychius, I'm not sure how to say this. You know what? Actually, I like Tychicus. Um, if you are in the place where you're looking for a baby name and like maybe you're expecting a child, go with Tychicus. Um, but <laughs> the... <laughs> Ty, the beloved brother 
and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. As I think about these instructions from Paul, he tells us to put on the full armor of God that we would be able to stand, that we would be able to stand firm, that we would know who we are, we would know whose we are. And he starts with the belt of truth, that we prepare ourselves daily to be people of truth, to be people who put on the breastplate of righteousness, where we understand that our heart is guarded by the righteousness that only comes through Christ, that that's where our confidence comes from, through the righteousness given to us by what Christ did on the cross, by taking the sin that you and I deserve to be punished for. Instead, he took the punishment for us that we could be made right or in right standing or righteous in the eyes of God. So therefore, that breastplate is one of righteousness. My, my feet are covered, are shod with the preparation of peace, of the gospel. I'm a peace bringer, just as Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, that we are peacemakers, not people who go around stirring the pot trying to prove our point. Because that does people a whole lot of good. No, instead, we're peacemakers, we're peace bringers. What do we bring peace with? The gospel, the gospel of peace, the gospel of Jesus Christ that lets people who are at war with God know they can be at peace with God through faith in Christ alone. And then we're guarding our, 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 our minds through putting on that helmet of salvation, knowing and thinking about where my salvation comes from, that I am protected, that I have taken up the shield of faith when the enemy tries to attack, when he tries to advance that, that faith enables those fiery darts to, to quench those, uh, that shield quenches those fiery darts, and I can trust knowing that I'm rooted and grounded in faith. And the offensive weapon that I'm given is the sword of the Spirit, the very Word of God, that I may speak that Word, that I may think on that Word and meditate on that Word and hide that Word in my heart. I have to prepare myself daily because there is a spiritual battle at hand. Amen, church? There is a battle that you and I are called to face, and that is this type of standing in the Spirit, knowing who we are in Christ and whose we are, not the battle against flesh and blood. And then he says, make sure you're praying in the Spirit and making supplication for all of the saints that you're interceding for the saints, that you're praying for other people. You're praying for the Custer family. You're praying for them not just once on, uh, on their send-off Sunday, but no, we're praying for them as the Spirit who dwells in us is leading and guiding and directing us. You may be washing dishes. You may be cutting the lawn. You may be watching TV, and all of a sudden you start thinking about the Custer family. Well, it could be you just having a random thought. Or for the Christian, could it be the Holy Spirit is wanting you to pray because they could be dealing with something in that moment that you have no idea what's going on halfway across the world and God is calling you to intercede for a situation. That's where we have to say yes. Amen, church? Where we have to be in tune with what God is wanting to use us in and do in us and do through us. 
But I have to be equipped. I have to be prepared. I have to have this type of mentality where I'm ready to go, where I'm ready to be used, where every day I wake up and I discipline myself to make sure that I am a person of prayer, that I am a person who is in the Word, that I am a person who is realizing I'm going to be facing some things in this world today that naturally I can't handle on my own. And I have to put on the whole armor of God every single day, not just on Sunday, but on Monday when I wake up. I want to make sure that I'm trusting in him, that I'm resting in him when we're equipped to fight the real battle. Our expectation of other people changes. The way we look at situations, the, look, the way we look at the battle, the way we assess the landscape, the way that we assess the battle that lies ahead, it will change. When you're ready, when you're equipped, it will cause you to think differently. When you're anchored in the gospel, it will cause you to think differently because our expectations of someone who doesn't know Jesus are different from those of someone who does. They are. It's different. When I have someone who knows Jesus, I know that this person has been transformed by the power of God. I know this person has the Spirit of God living on the inside of them. I know that this person can be convicted of sin, that this person knows what it means to repent, that this person knows what it means to make amends and to reconcile, that this person knows what it means to pursue unity, that this person knows what it means to be a peacemaker, a peace bringer. And my expectations of them are very different from someone that doesn't know those things. Because I'm gonna have to interact with people who are both Christ followers and who are unbelievers, right? And if I'm gonna to have to interact with both of them, I need to know that, hey, when I get wounded from a Christian, the expectation of reconciliation is very different than that of the person who may be an unbeliever because they don't know. They're wounding me and they may be speaking negative things to me, about me. They may be spreading rumors about me, all kinds of falsehoods. I react very differently in that situation because this person, they don't, they don't know Jesus. And so I pray for my enemies. I pray for those who would want to see harm come to me and persecute me. I pray for them and I extend that olive branch and I love them where they're at. But to the Christian, I'm, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna say, hey, uh, this is not how Christian brothers and sisters act towards one another. This is how God told us to act and treat one another and interact because this is how Christ wants us for the glory of God to maintain and pursue unity. I don't expect to be in unity with an unbeliever because the, they don't know Jesus. They haven't been transformed. I can be kind to them. I can love them where they're at with the understanding that they have, but I'm not going to be in unity with them like I am in the body of Christ. That's a different kind of unity. So because my expectations are different the battle strategy changes because remember, I'm not fighting people. It's a spiritual battle. And I understand that I need to give grace. I understand that I love people with the love with which I was loved. When I remember that I too once was an enemy of God, it changes things. When I remember that I once too was in darkness, that I was once blind before God gave me the spiritual eyes to see that I was once lost, that I am now found, that I am now a child of God who was once a stranger, an alien, an outcast, a foreigner. Now I've been brought in and adopted 
and called a son or a daughter of God and I call him Abba Father, you see, I got to remember once I was not a child of God. Once I was very far, but now because of Christ, I've been brought near. And so it changes the way I interact with someone who's still far away. It changes the way that I act. It changes my expectations because lost people are going to act like lost people. It also changes my expectations for the family of God and the body of Christ. Amen? Because as we grow in spiritual maturity, we should be putting off those former ways how we used to act and the ways we used to treat each other because we shouldn't resolve conflict and deal with challenges and issues the same way the world does because we have Jesus. We have a better way. Amen? We shouldn't navigate the challenges of life the same way that someone who doesn't know Jesus navigates those challenges because we've been shown a better way in Christ and we understand that. So as I'm walking through my day-to-day -day life in a world full of both believers and unbelievers, I need to understand I want to fight the right battles. I want to fight the battles that I'm called to fight. I want to stand for the things that I'm supposed to stand for and I don't want to go around just stirring up controversy and causing problems. I don't want to be the type of person that just gets riled up and caught up in every type of thing on Facebook that should or shouldn't be shared or typed or posted. I am actually looking through the lens of the gospel and it's changing me. So remember, pray, discipline yourself to be equipped daily with scripture. Hide the word in your heart. Remember the gospel that you freely received so you can be someone who freely gives it. Being filled with the spirit is having the mind and attitude of Christ dwelling richly in us daily. So be filled continually with the Spirit by having your heart, your mind dwelling richly daily on the things of God. As you do that, you're going to be equipped with the truth, with peace, with faith, with righteousness, with salvation, and with the Spirit of God going forward with you in a world that's very dark and very lost and needs light and salt and hope. Amen? And that's our job, but we have to be equipped to go forward, to move forward in what we've been called to do and what we've been created to do and what we've been commissioned to do. We can't go out into all the world and make disciples of every nation in our own strength. We're not that sharp. We're not that good. I'm not that good of a preacher to do that. <laughs> no, we need the Spirit of God. We have to lean into him. We have to depend on him fully. And we have to let go of us trying to control outcomes and people and situations and trying to make people agree with us or see our side by just being angry with them and by just shaking them and by trying to outsmart them. No, it's me showing them the love and truth of Christ. Yes, speaking the truth in love. Yes, being that light, but fighting the right battles, not fighting people doesn't matter if it's, a, if it's even someone that may be a foreign enemy. Not fighting those battles where I'm allowing myself to hate other people, where I'm loving them right where they're at because they're walking in darkness. I'm going to love them right where they're at, and I'm going to love them with the same love that God showed me when I was in darkness, when I was lost. To lead them to the light, to lead them to the cross, to lead them to the feet of Jesus. Amen, church? So Lord, help us do this because we can't do this on our own. We've all tried before. And Lord, where we've been trying to control people and outcomes and where we've been fighting the wrong battles, I pray you'd show us those things so we can stop 
going down that path. So we'll be aware of the enemy's schemes. So we'll be aware that, Lord, we can just be spinning our wheels and thinking we're doing good and not really doing a whole lot to move the needle in eternity. And Lord, help us to be focused on prioritizing the things that honor you and glorify you and that are actually impacting eternity. Help us to be people who are passionate about the gospel, full of the love and truth of Jesus and being people who are unashamed of the gospel, being people who are unashamed, Lord, that we follow you and that we can understand, Lord, that you have brought us into your family and may we show that same type of mercy and love and compassion, Lord, to those who are outside of your family, that they may see, Lord, our love for you, our love for one another, that they may hear truth, that they may see truth lived out, Lord, and that they may have their eyes opened so that they may come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Before you go, if you're here today and you just are someone who does not know Christ, I would hope that through this message that today would be the day that you would trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The scripture says as many as, as call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I pray that today that you would call out on his name, Jesus. That you would repent of your sin, that you would put your faith and your trust in him. That you would continue to walk with him and get connected and plugged in to a solid, healthy church family. If you're online, reach out and let us know that you made that decision today and we wanna help you to continue to grow and walk those steps out of growth in your journey of becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. We love you, we wanna pray for you, we wanna be here available to you. Before you go, make sure you say hello to the Custers and let them know that you're thinking about them, you love them and you're praying for them. Let's continue to be salt and light in the world. Amen, church. Before you go, number six and 24 says, may the Lord bless you and keep you may make his face shine upon you be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon each and every one of you and give you his peace. God bless you, BCC. Have a great week. You're dismissed.